You're listening to a Morley Radio production. Okay, welcome to Artcast, a new podcast presented by Matt G, artist and subject leader for fine art at Morley College. The decision to do this was uh, inspired by photographs taken from the polio outbreak in the 1940s in America where students were being remotely taught by radio. So this podcast will be a series of informal discussions with artists about their work, lifestyle, and how they adapted during the current crisis we are in. The aim is to disseminate material for students by limiting screen time and providing a feed of information for when they are taking a break from the screen. So my next guest is street artist Douglas Hoxima, commonly known as Hoxo. That's spelled H-O-X-X-O-H. So I'll just read a paragraph from his website. So Hoxo attempts to show us different ways of viewing time for a means of exploring its natural fabric. His work creates a new foundation and approach to evaluating and appreciating time. The oscillation of the pendulum paints time through gravity's natural pull expressing how we can be pulled in one direction when we are really meant to be going in another, how resistance creates a struggle and a full sense of control, where if we follow the natural flow of time predetermined yet unseen path, an experience of beauty and pure form will take shape. Hoxo's work isn't about the ebbs and flows of time eventually determining where our existence will stand to be recognized, but instead serves to show that time in itself is a beautiful energy meant to be marveled at. His work represents what happens when we let go of our control of time and let its predetermined course take control. Spheres of life are on display, illustrating the motions of space and time working in unison to create natural order. His paintings depict time as a sweet ride that flows by mixing spontaneity with precision. The physical presence of time displayed in most natural form. So, Hoxo, welcome. Are you you sitting outside by any chance? I am. uh, It looks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it looks. Oh, it looks so warm. (laughs) (laughs) So you're based in Miami. Uh, So my first question was going to be like a very typical question that people in in the UK ask. What's what's the weather like over there? But that's obviously a pretty stupid question now. Now I've seen that it looks marvelous. Um, Do you think the the light and the the sort of climate has an impact on your work at all? Um, No. Okay. <laughs> uh, not not in like the final outcome, but more working. I'm like as soon as I think light, being from the, here, it's I think of heat. Uh, installing murals on a south facing wall in the sun is is it doesn't matter where you are unless it's freezing and usually the sun's not out. So um, no. Uh, maybe- okay. Fair enough. I don't know. Maybe I've I've embraced some of the more saturated, bright, brighter colors. Given like my studio is located in Little Haiti and Miami, and it's it's very Caribbean colors painted everywhere and Miami itself. But um, that's a long answer. I think sometimes when I would travel and paint murals, I felt obligated to bring like really bright colors. Um, the cl- yeah. bring Miami to that city. Uh, but um, no. Have you got a favorite color at the moment? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I 
I usually say like I just bright pink. I really like, but I, I it's funny like favorite colors. Uh, that seafoam green, that that blue, yeah. that that color of the water that Miami's really lucky to get that Caribbean teal colors. Um, but no, man, I, I don't really have a preference. Uh, yeah, love them all. And so, you, <laughs> so you studied um, architecture originally. Am I? Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you sort of went from starting out and how you moved to where you are now and how, how I guess architecture plays a, a big part in your practice. Big part. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I did 10 years of college. Uh, I would have stayed longer if they didn't cut my funding off um, or my loans is more like it. There's no funding. Um, I did, uh, I studied art history and painting and then I decided to study architecture, and I did a uh, a five year program in four years. Uh, in the states, it's called a professional degree. And after that, you can you can immediately start taking your tests to get it accredited and you know become a licensed architect. Um, which was really never my I never really wanted to be a licensed architect. The whole I I really what I learned in architecture was in the schooling was that the profession of architecture is really more like code it's more legalities it's really boring the field of architecture there's maybe you know the what i was interested in was the 10 percent, you know which is this fully experimental design i was heavily dedicated to sustainable design early on um but i graduated in 2008 and that's when the real estate bubble popped and it was possibly one of the worst degrees you could have. Um, overqualified for any basic job. Um, every architecture firm changed. Uh, there was no entry level. It just didn't exist. There was the profession was just annihilated. Um, so I ended up working in a lumber mill. Uh, salvaged lumber it was all black cypress and in miami we have this wood called uh we call it uh dade pine but it's just pine trees from the south that grew in limestone and they're super resistant to all bugs and weather um it's it's almost like petrified wood the, the wood is like stone when you cut it um but uh, at that point i that's when I started focusing on painting something I'd always done and um, just use that. It's kind of like reacting, reacting to what the, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> um, it really pushed me. It pushed me to, um, to figure out the a technique um, at the time primary flight began. And that was a mural festival that happened during Basel okay that happened every year first week of December in Miami and um I was lucky enough to be a part of that with I was the guy in the field running every lift and teaching muralists at the time how to use lifts the uh, I mean I it was crazy I got to teach Shepherd Ferry's team how to use a lift because it was the first time one that they weren't doing wheat paste they did a giant stencil and none of them had driven a lift at that time um wow 
And it's pretty amazing to find out how many mirrorless are scared of heights <laughs> <laughs> as well. Um, and um, I was really lucky to help L Mac and Retina. These uh, L Mac was an artist I always looked up to, and he does these amazing portraits. And it's all based on this one technique that he uses with a super fat cap. Yeah. And things kind of clicked. Um, I was already, I had already found this mark, which was the, the spray paint comes out as a cone and I use, I use half of it. Um, and it makes a U shape or an arc or trying like a triangle shape. Um, yeah. And I just repeat that thousands of times. Um, I was just you know, really lucky. Like I, I got to sit down with Futura and, he uh, he had seen I had done a, a, quite a few illegal things around the city and, and a couple um, permission based murals and and he couldn't figure it out. He was like, I was trying to figure out how you're doing this, and it's <laughs> the the irony is that he did this mark like 20 years before me or 15 years before me, and I, I knew I was on something when when he couldn't figure it out, and um, just right time, right place, you know, and. Um, yeah hungry really hungry at the time still hungry but yeah obviously you're moving on to like big commissions such as the miami marine stadium project and um i was wondering if you could like talk about just for like the benefit of students really just sort of talk a little bit about the logistics that um go into like a project like that and i think like on that one there's so besides like just to hit that note on like architecture influencing my work really the there's like subtle connections that happened, but the, the only thing I really derived out of it was a work ethic. Um, I always, I, I would joke and call it architorture. I got to <laughs> architorture and it was, it really was, they, they taught you how to not sleep for two days and meet unrealistic deadlines and, um, and, and then pitch it. You got to sell it to everybody <laughs> with no sleep. Um, the stadium was, uh, a really beautiful connection to and like you know i'm not designing them but at least i'm painting on these architectural elements and um that was the world's largest or longest cantilever for a very long time a uh, cuban architect forget i forgive me i forget his name right now but um there was a a project where they're trying to bring awareness to the stadium because the city wanted to tear it down Oh wow! And the architect and the museum here in Coral Gables started um, and um, brought a bunch of street artists and graffiti writers um, to paint on it. And the reason of that was because the the band the building was abandoned for years, and and the only people that were really using it were graffiti writers. And um, it was a kind of a semi legal place that you could go and and paint. Um, yeah. So the idea was to bring awareness of the structure and uh, try to save it, and it it did. They they raised the funding. Um, the commission aspect was uh, so they they hired Heineken at one point to do some kind of campaign to bring more awareness, and I had already painted uh, like a giant concentric uh, concentric circle in the center of the stadium. Um, and they went and painted their logo, the giant red star over my work. 
Uh, no way. Yeah. Um, you know, hired, hired some of my friends to do it. Uh, you know, that they, they were, you know, it was, it was a gig, but, um, it really backfired on them. And, uh, the, was it the national historical preservation organization of, of the United States got behind it and raised some money so I could go back and reinstall it. And at that time, we stepped it up and did it even bigger. Um, the logistics there was, uh, I used the air, like figuring out how to, last time was just little rollers. And we, there was three or four of us. We went around and spent a day and a half just painting each chair and figuring out what kind of pattern we can make. Um, this time we stepped it up and used a airless spray gun. And I had a wagon with a generator and an airless gun, which is an industrial uh, commercial spray gun that pumps just pure paint. Um, and uh, we, we, what you see, we did that in one day. It was wild. Um, a lot of pain. Excellent. Uh, it, it's still, it's still up today. They have the city classically hasn't done anything yet, but supposedly they're going to save the venue. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Where, do you know, do you know any sort of timeline about, when they will let you know if the venue's been saved. I guess that would be such a great sense of achievement. It's been saved, but they uh, restoring it. They they haven't done anything. Um, but that's a Miami. Right. Miami's uh, classically corrupt in a lot of ways. Um, I really hope it does get saved because the stories I've heard of it. They use it as a music venue. They would have a floating stage out in the water. Um. They did like boat races back in the day, but the main idea is it'll be a music venue and right. You know, it'd be cool to see from the stadium, but the idea that you could just paddle a kayak up, like you can, yeah. <laughs> you can go, and in this, it's beautiful. You see the city behind it. And you're talking about a lot of different techniques where you use different like spraying techniques, but you also seem to create your own contraptions, like, like sort of like a cook, uh, making their own kitchen utensils. So I was wondering if you could just talk to us about some of the the mark making mechanisms that you you make for your for your own practice. I don't know. I think it'd be really good for students to sort of hear that sort of thing. Not not so that they can make similar work, but so they can sort of figure out ways of extending their practice through like through making tools and just hearing hearing about different processes. Totally, totally. Um, so the beginning with mark making mechanisms, it started with a can of spray paint. Then it went into the paint pendulum, um, which at the time I started using a paint pendulum maybe, I want to say almost 10 years ago now. Um, that's where I started using time as a concept. Um, it's, I, I don't own it. Like they, they use it in elementary schools to teach kids, you know, in the arts and crafts. Um, and, uh, but it, it would kind of, those two mechanisms made me started thinking, well, what else, what else can I do with other spraying tech mechanisms or ways of applying paint besides your typical ways? Um, it, it first started with, um, we made some guns that would hold more than one can of paint. Um, did one that held three in a straight line and, made another one that held them in a triangular position to see if like the cones of paint would mix. Um, and then it, 
I kind of backburnered that. Um, there was another artist at the same time that was already making some really big strides in it. Um, and it wasn't really in reaction to that. It was just like, I was more interested in these like things either than what they would make. Like I, I, um, I just kind of just interested in the mechanisms of themselves. Um, which led me to these ready-mades is what I was kind of, you know, so that's what they are. They're literally irrigation systems, sprinklers, um, things that already naturally pump uh, liquid. And yep. uh, which led me into using, um, there's a very classic sprinkler that kind of, it's called Rain, it's a Rainbird is the company. It's a German sprinkler and it, it shoots, it kind of even makes that sound like, and then really quick back. I think most people have been lucky enough to have seen one or run through one when they're a kid at some point, hopefully. Yeah. And then there, which, you know, I found myself in the garden section at your hardware store, finding all these different kinds of lawn watering devices that spin and shoot, you know, 12 different lines of water and, um and it's still early in that process um one it pumps paint out really fast <laughs> and uh the first time running it i think it was it was five gallons and three minutes of paint so it was like wow yeah 100 bucks real quick <laughs> it was like all right maybe we, yeah i don't need to dilute it but it was we, at that point, I started cutting the paint so I could start experimenting and learning what they can do. Um, yeah. And then finding, you know, places that you can you can run these things and convincing people or finding the people that were into the idea of just learning what these things can do. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Do you, have, do, you, do you ever find that you sort of accidentally cover, like, passers-by in gallons of paint and then have to pay, like, paint? <laughs> um, I did... The first time I shot it on a house was at a friend of mine, Axel Void. He lives here in Miami, and um, he asked me to paint it, to install it on his house. And it shot over the house and painted all these trees. <laughs> and so we were, we were running running around with a hose, and luckily, you know, you could, you could wash it off rather quick. And no plants died in the making. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, one, yeah. one job I thought I was going to have to bag a giant tree because the wind was so heavy from the south. And luckily, luckily, we were really lucky that as we were making plans to go buy the material to, to cover a tree, the wind switched up and, and we luckily didn't have to do that. But um, yeah, uh, I do have plans of having people wear hazmat suits and interacting with these sprinklers, oh, wow. like on an interior space. Um, I'm really, uh, <laughs> my neighbor, hold on. Hey, you're going to be working for a while, man. He's ignoring me. All right. Um, well, if it goes again, I'll jump in. Yeah. And uh, it, your work is, I know it's based on time and systems and contraptions. Is, is there anything illustrative that you want to come out of it though? I sort of see like geode like aesthetics or sort of crystallizations that form it's funny the time the, the time i literally did a series of pendulum paintings where i i allowed the pendulum to paint a circle for 60 seconds and then i did it 
did 60 of them and it's an installation of 60, 60 seconds an hour. And it was like this conversation of like kind of the, the buyer's market of like consuming, like you end up a lot of times when I do commissions or for big murals, you, I find myself in this conversation where they'll like try to value the work according to how much time I spent on it. And then I always end up on this saying of, you know, 15 minutes in all my life or now it's 15 seconds in all my life. It took me to do that. Um, mm. And then it, I had a, a friend of mine wrote a really beautiful piece um, on that body of work. And it just, man, the website of not updating <laughs> website, it, it luckily really fits well with the rest of my work abstractly. And, and luckily I'm, you know, I play in the realm of, of pure abstraction and, starting to hit notes of surrealist abstraction where there is a narrative. Um, I don't really try to place that or direct a narrative. I, I really, I enjoy hearing people's reactions and um, prefer it. Uh, I feel like if I start directing the narrative, it, it really just takes the fun out of enjoying my work uh, for me personally and, and for the viewer. Uh, well, you're also transforming and distorting spaces aren't you with the work i guess whether it's these vortex like these illusions of 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 depth or literally just transforming a space with an obscene amount of paint yeah there 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 are these really beautiful dialogues of manipulating space and through paint and 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 there is a narrative to some type of instant time that it does happen um yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of nice coincidences that happen with the time that we're living in, and I'm still trying to figure out that narrative. I, I feel like uh, something I do lack in my work is writing about it. Um, and there's moments I, it's funny. I look back. I did ten years of school and did all this reading and writing, and then I've completely abandoned it <laughs> the last twelve years or uh, twelve years. It's I think it is now. But um, I think part of that might be it really begins to feel like work once I start to uh, pigeonhole myself and describe exactly what it is that I'm doing. Um, sure. It, it, it maybe it just takes the fun out of it for me. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a very clear style, very clear um, identity sort of doesn't need to be written about, I guess. Um, be more interesting. To, do you have a lot of people times where other people write stuff? Cause I found that from a personal point of view, it's quite interesting when you sort of have someone write about your work, but don't don't give them any like preconceptions totally i've been really lucky uh, uh the one friend that wrote that timepiece he doesn't even write about art uh it just one day it just hit him and it and it he said he was like working out and it, it had an epiphany um yeah i was really lucky last year to have an article written in a graffiti art magazine and the writer it's just it was amazing the connections she was able to make through the different bodies of work that i do um it's difficult man uh as it should be um i think every day i'm like wishing for that writer to just do the magic that they do um <laughs> i I've, i guess i've just so stuck in the painting realm and the actual action yeah. of creating the work like yeah <laughs> so I don't, it's like i've been then it, like a good article comes out and it's like oh well i don't need to do it they they just did it for me <laughs> Um, but your work, the work on the streets for, for everybody to come across, isn't it? It's not someone that's chosen to go and see your work. So it's, 
it, it's up it's up to them to to experience it and bring what they want to it totally yeah. very very open-ended um there's always a surprise but to how people react to it it's it's and and i prefer to keep it that way i feel like uh yeah uh it is that you know it's just pure abstraction with some yeah definitely vague what would you consider to be your greatest achievement if you had to pick one <laughs> or greatest greatest commission or um man it's funny i'm like thinking of what my my mom reacted to uh, oh. <laughs> i don't know why that came to thought i got a that she watches this home garden network and there's some TV show where they look at, uh, they're selling you apartments. Yeah. Um, and like in the, in the shot, there's a mural that I painted. And my mom was so excited. Like I could be in any museum and it doesn't matter to her. Like the fact that I made it on her, her TV show that she watches. Um, um yeah i don't know man uh last year before corona happened i was in paris for five weeks uh making a show and that was a real surreal highlight just to be in in that city and making work and watching you know what, what was happening in milan during fashion week and then it i was there in paris when it came um wow. really dynamic time um very very surreal i was never like oh my god paris i want to you know go to paris it just wasn't on the list for me and it, it blew my mind uh and i had i had had been there prior too and it's an, an amazing place but it, it really it really won me over uh to that place is i don't know what it is it's timeless there and especially in the yeah that where i was in saint germain it's uh, just ancient. Um, the building where I was staying was built in like 50, like 50, the year 50. And I, I, come, from, <laughs> I come from a city that's wow. barely 100 years old. So it was just this sure. polar, polar extremes. Um, yeah. Have you got anywhere on your sort of list of places to go once this all hopefully blows over soon? <laughs> I leave, um, I hit the road here, uh, Corona. I, it's, I come like being in Miami, I forget that we're in a pandemic because yeah. Florida has been open for business. We have a governor that's insane and, yeah. and nobody, nobody cares here like whatsoever. Uh, yeah. so I, 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 yeah, I, I, I do forget at times like that's right. The rest of the world most of the world's in, in some kind of curfew or lockdown. I, uh, last year I did a big wall in Denver. It was, it was weird traveling. Um, but, uh, luckily, you know, when you're painting murals, it's, it's a photo mm. activity. I'm by myself. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's totally true. Like, and you're working outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's perfect really. Yeah. Um, great. I, I'm hitting the road. I'm about to do a mural in Cincinnati. Um, and hopefully things work out, but the, I think the thing I'm most excited about is, um, a collector of mine is, uh, giving me a Japanese fire truck 
which is a okay. miniature fire truck, uh, the, the pump engine. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know these existed. Um, and now I'm, I'm in the works of, you know, utilizing a miniature fire truck and a farming sprinkler, which is the, you know, the sprinklers for your house are like, you know, three inches yeah. or whatever. And this guy is like a two foot, it pumps water 120 feet. Um, wow. Yeah. So it'd be like a 240 foot circle. That, yeah. <laughs> um, sounds great. Yeah. It, it, it just happened last month and things are moving quick. I hope it all works out. Um, I'm sourcing the plan and I really hope uh, in my head it's working out, but um, I'm going to try to get a several hundred feet of hose where I could prime the hose with a, a gradient of color. So I'm, I'm really hoping that I can do some kind of rainbow effect or at least like a, uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, um, keep you guys posted. Cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of like your favorite artists as well, have you got anyone that you'd tell people in the UK to sort of want to get out and, and sort of see um, some street artists, some certain street artists in the UK or I wasn't even going to say street artists. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, the... well, we could, we could talk about like this, the street artists and, and the non-street artists or both. It's up to you. It's a term I've just, learn to embrace it i fought it for years um what the what the term street artist yeah it, it's so really? old and then there was like post graffiti was a term they were coming up with i, I you know i'm just a painter uh I, okay and a muralist but our historians have to come up with these terms to be able to write them so it is what it is yes and uh, yeah exactly no point in fighting it um the artist i was gonna say was uh chris burden as a major influence on my work, uh, I would look up his beam drop is a very important piece. And then another piece he did, which was he uh, made a steamroller levitate. Um, really just a piece on physics. Um, you know, I, I, I like the piece also where he had his friend shoot him in a, in the arm with a rifle at a gallery opening. <laughs> Uh, Katarina Grosse is a, another artist that has really like laid a lot of groundwork uh, for, for where I'm taking my work. Uh, really a boost of confidence to see what she's doing with her work and kind of giving, making some sense in my head to, to go forward with some of these crazy ideas I have. Um, you know, not really because I, it, I'm so focused on the process and, and, and the how that I, I guess I'm waiting for my late later years to figure out the why. Um, and, and then when I see artists like Katarina working, it, it, it really, it's motivation and inspirational, you know? Um, another artist, street artist, I'd be like, Oh, check out D face. Um, Ben Ein, but the, you guys all, you know, you know, the artists in, in London that paint in the streets um yeah and and lee hill or uh, bond no Wait, gary i think gary's in london as well okay. he works in text um so the term sort of street artist is that sort of got 
potentially negative connotations for you then? Because that, that, that is quite interesting because I think, yeah, you're totally right. I guess people like to pigeonhole and sort of well, define. And I guess there's like the contemporary art world, isn't there? And then there's the, but for me, yeah, I, I guess there's there's lots of artists, for instance, like Cause, for example. Like, but I don't, he wasn't even a street artist. Like he didn't really do any of that illegally. A street artist did like those. That's Shepard Ferry and Deface and Banksy. Yeah, like classic Anthony Lister. Like, like that. They went out. They painted illegally, and then, you know, the this you know with Mr. Brainwash and Banksy, that that movement, it really became a genre that's not going anywhere. It's, it's. Oh, that's you know, quite the, interesting then. So, so for you, the best definition I've heard of street art is it was a principal at a school that I painted at and he, he said it's the people's art and it, it yeah. really won me over uh you know it, I I came I painted murals and and then this whole movement happened and I just found myself in it it wasn't literally I wasn't I never I did a lot of graffiti here you know I did a little bit of graffiti here and there and then I did some of my murals illegally but most of them were permission based um I, I felt I felt like I fell more in uh, as a, I was a muralist because I, I pretty much always had permission yeah. more or less. Um, so so for you, I guess yeah, that's interesting because I guess a lot of the time we don't really think about the term street artist meaning that it's illegal. I think it's become such a because, like you said, the movement because there's been such a movement and the movement that you got caught up in. It, even the word this the word street artist has actually become quite a. It does it really describing it. it's just such a broad term that gets thrown around too easily but yeah what i've learned is it really at least in europe like people were very receptive to it and like they it would op- they would it would allow them to take interest in your work uh it was kind of like a you know it's a gateway word that can open up conversation or or get somebody's attention that you may not normally have had um yeah, but um, you know, and it's a great formula to just start out like as an artist. Uh, I it, um, if I had knew about like if that was if I was you know twenty something years old right now, I, I it what a great way to just get your work out there and work in the public realm. Um, it's for the it's for the public. You know, it's not a traditional route of schooling and and gallery you got to get in the gallery kind of thing then you know instagram and street art really changed that dynamic for a bit and then now the whole pandemic it's you know everything's virtual it's like the doors are wide open right now um yeah with you know becoming or not becoming but as you know of trying to be a living working artist um there's so many different hurdles and and but we live in a time where there's so many different ways to do it and and reinvent it um especially with this nft phenomenon that's been happening recently uh of a another way another market to be able to sell your work on um what's the nft so nft is a non-fungible token if i I might i forget that last word but i don't know if you caught recently the artist Beeple, it's digital art that you are turning into a token instead of a boring looking uh, token like Bitcoin or Ether, 
And also when it resells, you can tack on that you make a commission on that, which has never been able to happen prior. All right, so we've just got a couple more questions really. Um, so I was gonna ask uh, if you had any advice to give like students that are, are studying any course really, not, not, not necessarily just an art course, or anyone that's that's sort of studying at the moment and starting out as being an artist in the in the current times we're living in or if you hadn't like any top tips for studying or living um bit of both really so like yeah students that are coming out of that experience i uh well when i was studying i almost ended up with a philosophy degree just out of accident because i kept taking every theory class i could find um for me i didn't understand any art theory until i started studying architectural or design theory and design theory really was able to because they're always they were really talking to tangible objects or something you could really relate to whereas art theory i always found it being in this giant vacuum and it was very confusing and when i was first starting out and um yeah i don't <laughs> study some finance and some basic skills um man advice and being a artist um early on i was lucky enough to ask some friends that were already you know a few four or five years as making a living off of artists and their their advice was to keep doing it yeah um, which was like, I, at the time, it was like, that's the worst advice ever. Um, I don't, like, what do I even do with that? Um, but then after, you know, you hit these mile markers of five and 10 years, um, and you start to, I started to realize, like, um, for various reasons of keep on doing, you know, making work and choosing to be an artist, um, whether it's you just get burnt out um, or you're just, you know, a, a writer's block. Um, I've found that, you know, the days I don't want to make any work and I don't feel like making work, you know, just, I guess, not inspired. I found that those were the best days to work in the studio and, and to just that routine of, of, you know, making 20 really ugly paintings and, or make, you know, just making ugly things in your head or, or, or what you think is ugly or makes no sense. Um, and just the act of creating, you, you end up finding and discovering these moments that, uh, you know, you wouldn't if you um, just sat and stared. Um, and also that, like, man, there's, I swear there's, there's definitely been weeks where I just go in the studio and don't make anything. Um, just brainstorming and dreaming on a bunch of what ifs and or, or <laughs> and could have or uh yeah i don't know it's torture man i i don't <laughs> wish this, this career or uh no i totally agree though in those points that it's yeah it's those moments when you're not forcing it that things happen like even if you're on a beach or in the shower or just some th those moments where you're not saying right i've got to go to the studio and do something it's that those times when when you're relaxing as well when the the, the ideas come isn't it yes totally i i found 
this you know last year i uh i i've always kayaks but i i started doing it a lot more because i had a lot more time to do it and it's an activity that you know you're by yourself out in the water um spending as much time in nature for me has been the best just to get grounded you think a little clearer um it's it's actually probably become a problem now in my my studio process so i find myself going to studio just to kind of kill time until i go out and get on the kayak or or fit in some kind of nature trail hike um yeah man those are always i usually have some really short crappy sayings i would say like the view from the bottom's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Life ain't easy. If it was, everybody be doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, to, to if anything, it's really the best time. I think of, of all times to be an artist, now is the best time to be an artist. There's never been so many ways that you can create and make work. I mean man, these new technologies of 3D printers and CNC routers and yeah, the, the 3D modeling programs, like just even what SketchUp's capable of doing, it's amazing. And it just even the way artists are interconnected through, you know, social media platforms and um, podcasts, just a way to be able to, to learn about other artists have never been so accessible as it is now. Um, you know, there's, I guess definitely learn to turn off the internet yeah you know definitely i spend time on it you know even the crazy tiktok is quite a wild space to discover unusual diys and just what weird trends society's doing um yeah but but learning learning to turn all of that off um yeah and really get comfortable with failing. I think that's probably the best advice I could give any young artist is get comfortable with it. Uh, for, you know, put yourself in those situations to fail. You're going to learn, you're going to learn more than anything. Um, I, I found myself even now, like I'm setting myself up to do things that aren't in my comfort zone and, and, um, I'm dreading it, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> I may not ever do that, that thing again that I'm planning on doing, but, um, you know, stepping out of your box. Um, yeah. I know in times like we're in right now, uh, we're very comfortable in our sheltered in spaces and, um, yeah, like getting comfortable with the awkward and, and, Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, like that's literally what we all live in. Um, the social awkwardness couldn't be even like, even it's just normal now. Like, yeah, everyone's socially awkward. <laughs> yeah, we, tell me about we, it. We're all having these uh, these anxieties that we didn't like. Maybe we always had them, but now we're even more aware of them. You know. Um, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, this this last week was my first uh, week teaching in real life for two months, and it's an it's a new role as well. So, after two months of getting to know the students online, I went in for three three days and met them in real life. And I, yeah, there was there was a sort of <laughs> kind of forgot how to socialize for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with with groups of people, 
Yeah. You, you yeah. hit elbows or knuckles or nothing or yeah, and just walking into different spaces, end up like walking into doors because it's because it's not my flat. <laughs> <laughs> or even even I had a studio visit where they were wearing a mask. Mm. Um, man, that was in, in it's impossible to gauge their their reaction when like, you haven't met. Yeah. Definitely. Or like, are they interested in anything I'm saying? You know, like you, you, you can't gauge the conversation. Like, mm. um, they're all just wide eyed, but the, like, that's kind of even a normal, like you don't know if they're smiling or just like, yeah, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, yeah, that was the other thing. The student students have to wear masks. So I couldn't actually see who they were until, <clears throat> until they said, well, I could obviously see who they were, but, um, but yeah, it sort of adds an extra mysteriousness to it, um, which is, I guess, part of what we're going through at the moment. But um, cool, been really in- enjoying chatting to you. Have you got anything else you wanted to put out there or say? Or uh, just uh, thank you, man. Thank you for inviting me and uh, allowing me to share my uh, my world. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and please do check out Hoxo's work if you're not familiar with it. That'd be great. It's it's some really, really top stuff. Thank you. Looking for a place to study this summer? Morley College is one of London's leading education centres. We have something for everyone. There are courses for school leavers, adults wanting to upskill, retrain or to simply learn a new skill or interest. We're enrolling now at all our centres. Find out more at morleycollege.ac.uk forward slash enrolment, where London enjoys learning.